So today we're going to be talking about Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, the words we need to hear are, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Okay, so we've been talking about the book of Daniel, uh, and the book of Daniel is awesome. Uh, Actually, the book of Daniel is, in a sense, an Old Testament Acts. You know, the book of Acts in the New Testament tells us stories. It does not stress doctrine. It does not stress uh, teachings, although there are teachings, there are doctrines, obviously, in the entire Bible. But the focus of the book of Acts uh, is on the testimony of people's lives and how the Lord moved in them, how the Lord used them, and how the Lord brought forth his desire through the events that happened to them. And the book of Daniel is exactly the same. The first six chapters of Daniel give us stories, events that happened to Daniel and his his companions, and they portray God's will and God's desire through the stories. And actually, uh, you know, the, the power of stories is awesome. Uh, you know, before the Bible was written, anyone know who's, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses, Moses obviously. When did he write them? B.C. Uh, B.C., for sure. <laughs> Anybody got a rough guess? I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think anyone knows like the exact, exact date. No, not 4,000 B.C. 1,500 B.C., that's what most people think. Uh, you know, Egypt was the, um, the land they left, and, you know, pretty much you can trace with, uh, you know, a lot of accuracy when, when the Egyptian kings ruled. They've got all their stuff documented, inscribed on walls and their buildings. And before that, those stories that Moses tells, all of Genesis happened way before 1,500 years. So how did it get to them to that day? Stories. People preserve the story. And I want to read you a quote right at the beginning um, because studying the book of Daniel is, in a sense, if you're reading the first six chapters, you're reading stories. Now listen to this quote. What we, uh, we learn more readily, we learn more readily by what we see than by what we hear. We learn more readily by what we see than by what we hear. And the impression upon us is deeper. That is why God has given us so much history in the Old Testament and the Acts of the Apostles in the New. He knows we learn more easily by example than by precept. Examples have greater value than precepts because precepts are abstract, while examples are precepts carried into effect. By looking at them, we not only know what God's precepts are, but we have a tangible demonstration of their outworking. Isn't that good? Uh, that's a quote by Watchman Nee in one of his uh, famous books called The Normal Christian Church Life. But the point is that we learn by examples. Examples impress us. And Jesus subscribed to this mode of teaching in the, in the uh, New Testament. He always told parables. You know, he told the parable one time about two guys praying, one being a Pharisee standing on the street corner praying to himself, thank you, God, I'm not a sinner like this guy over here. He actually prayed that, I mean, in the story. And, uh, and then there was another guy who was beating his breast. He dared not even look to the sky. He was so uh, condemned and um, burdened by his sin. He dared not even look up. He was so ashamed. And he said, God, be propitiated to me, the sinner. Jesus told this story. Why didn't he just say, you know what? 
We need to recognize sin as a problem between you and God. Uh, Let me tell you about reconciliation and justification. He told a story that really impressed the point on people. And so today, we've got a story on Daniel chapter 3. And Daniel chapter 3 really should make an impression on us. Okay, before we go to that, though, I want to give you... um, I want to give you seven points on how Daniel and Acts correspond. The book of Daniel and the book of Acts correspond. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go through this kind of quickly. So jot it down. I think these are great points. And if you want to, uh, if you want to study the book of Acts or book of Daniel later, I think these are, would be real helpful guidelines. First point of correspondence, both Daniel and Acts are books of God's move. Books on God's move. Okay, that's point one. Daniel and Acts are books on God's move. Acts is obviously a book on God's move. But Daniel, nonetheless, is a book on God's move. How did God move? How did God's move, uh, how was God's move sustained through the captivity? It was sustained through four people. Okay, number two. Both books show us how to carry out our calling in a non-Christian context. Doesn't that sound like a good piece of uh, information if you're at UT? Talk about a non-Christian context. Well, the book of Daniel was... uh was uh, this, the events are in Babylon, which is a land of idolatry. Chris pointed out, you know, they destroyed, they were trying to destroy God's people. Okay, point three. Both show us the need of being grouped with companions. In Daniel chapter two, it mentions repeatedly Daniel and his companions. And then obviously when you look at the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts doesn't highlight individuals, but it emphasizes the relatedness of a group together. Even when Peter, in Acts 10, when he got the Spirit's call to go to Cornelius, uh, it said clearly the call was to Peter, but he took with him six of the brothers. So he incorporated others in his call to carry it out in a group. And so the same with Daniel. Okay, point four, both show us the importance of young people. Both books show us the importance of young people. Daniel 1.17 says that uh, these, these four characters, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, were children. It says children, or some versions say youth. And, you know, if you look at it, Daniel was alive throughout the entire captivity, which was 70 years. So if you try and speculate back, how old must have Daniel been when he was first carried into captivity in 605 B.C.? And he lived 70 more years throughout the entire captivity. Max, I mean, 15 years old, 20 years old, max maybe. Somewhere there, probably he was a teenager. And he was up against the most powerful army on the face of the earth at that time who wanted to wipe out God's people. And uh, he was a teenager. He was a teenager. The book of Acts, when Stephen is being stoned, it says they lay their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Both books emphasize the importance of young people in God's move. Point number five, both books are on witnesses slash martyrs. The Greek word for witness is the same as martyrs. And in Daniel 3, we're going to see that they stood for their faith at the risk of their lives. Okay, point six, two more. Both emphasize prayer. Uh, you'll see that if you read Daniel 6, you know. Uh, AJ is going to share later today that Daniel prayed as a habit. And the book of Acts also shows us the importance of prayer to be involved in God's move. And lastly, both stress stories and not doctrines. Sorry, I mentioned that. Isn't that good? 
Six points of correspondence between Daniel and Acts. Okay, so in chapter 3, we come to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 1 is in year number 1 of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Daniel chapter 2 is in year number 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And in Daniel 2, like we read today, earlier this morning, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream that he actually forgot. And he called in uh, the wise men and said, if you can't not only interpret the dream, but tell me the dream, I'm going to kill all of you. Now, Daniel in chapter 1, he was considered a wise man. Daniel 1, 4, it said he was, had wisdom and insight. And so in that chapter 2, Daniel's included in the people who are going to be killed. So like Chris pointed out yesterday, imagine you've been holding out under siege for, you know, around a year. You march to Babylon not knowing what your fate's going to be. You get there, somehow you have the audacity to resist the king of Babylon who has the power to kill you. And then the next year, you're facing life again. You're facing death again. Can you not only interpret the dream, but tell me the dream before interpreting it? Daniel chapter 2, the Lord uh, gives Daniel the revelation of the mystery, and he makes that known to the king. And in the dream, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the, you are the head of gold. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar even heard the rest. You are the head of gold. I'm just imagining a golden head. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't even pay attention to the fact that the whole image is going to be smashed. So in the next chapter, Daniel 3... Nebuchadnezzar decides to build a statue of himself, all gold. The whole statue is gold, not just the head. And it's 90 feet tall. It's 90 feet tall. So imagine if you came out to this ranch and said, Hey, Nicole, thanks for coming. Uh, Let me just take you out back. Uh, I want to show you this this cool statue I got. And there's a 90-foot statue of me. I mean, that's... That's, uh, that's uh, self-glorification, to say the least. And um, the temptation in Daniel 3, well, let me just tell you the story real quick. Um, Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar uh, calls an assembly of all the rulers, anyone who's anyone, uh, all the important people, the rulers, the prefects, the satraps, the governors, the leaders of the land, and he calls for an assembly. And uh, basically, we're going to act that out right now. All right. So everybody stand up. Now you're here. Imagine the idols here. Actually, before we do that, um, 90 foot, you know, I don't think we realize the... Um, the impressiveness that this uh, statue must have had on everyone. If you scale down 90 feet, Danielle, I want you to come up here. Okay, Daniel, Danielle, Daniel, correspondence there. Yeah? Okay, Danielle, you're about like six foot, right? Five eleven, maybe five ten. Yeah. So if you scale down 90 feet to six feet. Okay, and you're imagining yourself standing in front of a 90-foot statue, and you scale that 90 feet down to 6 feet. How tall would you be in, in proportion standing in front of a 6-foot statue? Anyone can do that math? one fifteenth, which compared to 6 feet is... Five inches. So if you take a eight and a half by eleven, fold in half, 
This is too big, but it's close. Uh, that's not going to stand. A bottle's too tall, too, but that's what you're looking at. Can you all see that? Yeah, well, imagine five inches up, up against 60 feet. This is what you're looking at. Daniel and his companions, actually Daniel's not there, but his companions and everyone who's anyone in the empire is looking at this monstrous statue. Okay, and, and Nebuchadnezzar says, Welcome to the unveiling of me, the golden me. And listen, you don't realize this is coming. But everyone in this room, and I want you actually to do it just for the effect, fall down on your knees at the sound of the music and worship me. Okay, so ready? Everyone about ready to get on your knees? Here goes the music. On your knees to worship me. Get on your knees. Everybody down on your knees. Everybody, Joseph, you're on your knees. You're on your knees. Nick, you're on your knees. You're on your knees. What's going on with these guys? All of a sudden, these guys are standing out. No hiding. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You're in a plane in front of a golden image that's 90 feet tall, and everyone around you is on their knees. Okay, thanks. You can stand up and sit down. I told some of the guys not to get on their knees, and apparently they affected the ones around them. Because <laughs> some of the people I didn't tell to get on their knees, they also stood up. Shows you the power of uh, the companions. I know it's my black group was standing tall back there. Go! So imagine this. You're at UT, a liberal, sinful place potentially. And this age is an age of everyone doing it. Your professor, who you respect, he's doing it. Athletes on the football team, they're doing it. Smart kids in class, they're doing it. Everyone around you is worshiping idols. And there's a seduction, there's a power just to fall in line, to go with the flow, not, you know, not, not resist the trend, not stand out, just fit in. And one of Satan's strategies today in our idolatrous, self-glorifying culture is to cause your testimony to be silenced. Just, just bow. Just bow or else. And think about if you're the three companions, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, you probably didn't know that you're going to be faced with worshiping the idol or going into the flames. You probably had no idea. You just showed up for the dedication. At that point, you're actually one of the rulers. Did you know that? Daniel chapter 2, they all got made rulers. And so all of a sudden, you're faced with a split-second decision. Do I just fall in line? I mean, I still have faith. I'm not really compromising my faith. I mean, I still believe those things. Do I fall in line and just, you know, just, you know, I bow the knee. I bow the knee. Don't, you know, don't put me in flames. I bow the knee real quick. Did anyone see that? I hope not. Or do you, I mean, you've got you to put yourself back. Anyone who's anyone is there in a plane, the plane. That means there's no trees, there's no shrubs to just... 
you know, just kind of till it's over and everyone stand back up. Then you kind of come back out and, hey, guys, what's up? What'd I miss? <laughs> Nowhere to hide. In your face with a split second, split second decision, do I stand for my God or do I just fall in line? And what the book of Daniel shows us is to be a part of God's move. It's not enough to have faith. You have to live out your faith. To be saved, all you have to do is have faith. That's the only requirement for salvation. After you have faith, doesn't matter what you do. Once saved, always saved. John 10, 28. No one shall pluck them out of my hand. Uh, they have eternal life forever. But to be a part of God's move, it's not enough to have faith. You have to act on that faith. You have to stand for that faith. You have to go public with your faith to be a part of God's move. And you'll be faced with situations at UT where there will be a split-second decision. In a situation, you didn't see it coming, you never imagined it, you're with a group of friends, and all of a sudden, someone throws out an idol. You know, Ezekiel 14.4, how about somebody get this? Anybody got their Bible? Phones do count, but you can hide with phones. If you're reading this in the SAC, everybody knows what this is. This is no question. If you know, if I'm doing this, I could be, you know, I could be playing a game. I could be checking my email. I could be, you know, texting someone. I could be doing a tweet. I could be reading my Bible without anyone knowing it, because I kind of want to, you know, not stand up when everyone's bound down. But if you got this out there, I mean, this, I don't think many other books have gold line pages, do they? And black leather covers. Okay, someone read Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. Okay, stand up and read it. Here we go. We got it. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I be inquired of at all? Okay, so did y'all catch that? What's striking about that verse? Where did they set up their idols? In their hearts. And Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel. Did you know that? Ezekiel was also in Babylon. He was older. He was 30. Daniel was probably around his teenage years. But Ezekiel, speaking to the children of Israel there, said, You have set up an idol in your heart. You've done the same thing, only on the inside, that Nebuchadnezzar did on the outside. Nebuchadnezzar set up a huge old idol for everyone to look at, everyone to worship. You have set up an idol in your heart for you to look at, for you to spend your time with, for you to be occupied with. And this, this uh, sets up an important principle that an idol for us today is probably not going to be a wooden statue, a golden statue of metal or whatever. It's things we internalize that take God's place in us. And so God's people in Babylon were doing the exact same thing inwardly that the Babylonians were doing outwardly. And so the danger with us is that anything with us can be an idol. Education can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. Music, entertainment, industry can be an idol. Anything, clothing, fashion can be an idol. Literature can be an idol. If it usurps God's place, God's first place in us. Remember Paul's story this morning? God wants the first place. 
And we may have faith, but we may relegate God to two hours on Sunday morning and maybe a a really long feeling hour on Wednesday night. We relegate God to second place, just, just compartmentalize God in that part of my life. But all my attention is really to academics, man. I don't have time for a prayer meeting. I got to study. I don't have time to serve God during the summer internship. I got to have my, you know, my business internship. Okay, I didn't have a single engineering internship all through college. I got a job like three weeks after I graduated. So, don't believe the lie that you have to have an internship in college related to your major or, you know, or you're not going to get hired. That is, that, I mean, it could be. It's not necessarily. So, the point is, it's not that we strip off everything, but we have to secure God's preeminence in our lives. Okay, so Daniel and his three companions are there left standing. Imagine that. And the king, in a rage and fury, and here's the seduction. Here's the, here's, here's the point you've got to catch with the seduction of idol worship. Is it's not just that you didn't bow the first time. It's the second chance when you're confronted. Hey, did you do that on purpose? Did you do that on purpose? Did you hear what I said? Did you not bow the knee on purpose? Or did you just kind of mishear it? I mean, I know you guys are Hebrews. Maybe you didn't catch the language there. I mean, you want a second chance? Bow the knee or the furnace of fire. That's where the seduction of idol worship comes in. And in our lives, we may have a quiet Christian testimony. But then at one point, Nicole, you're going to stand up for your faith. You're going to say, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. And it may be that at that point, people say... Did you do that on purpose? Are you challenging us? Are you not bowing the knee to our God? Are you not falling in line? Do you want to be different? And then there's the temptation. You know what? Just kind of go, yeah, you know, um, that's okay. I'll just, I'll just do it with you guys. Yeah, no, no problem, guys. I'm one of the guys. And so they ask, the king asked them, did you all do that on purpose? Let's give you guys one more shot. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know but you know, I, just, I just almost imagine everyone's looking at them. And, you know, now you're not just there in a plane with, you know, everyone who's anyone. You're in a plane with everyone who's anyone, and they're looking at you the second time around. Are you going to bend the knee? Second chance. Okay, so what do they do? Do they bend the knee? Let's say, praise the Lord, we serve God. Praise the Lord, we serve God. Even on second chances, we we uh, we don't shrink back. Okay, so then Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. In a, in a rage and fury, he says, and I imagine, you know, I imagine it's like this. The idol's right here. The idol's right here. And I just imagine the flame is like right here. I mean, the flame probably wasn't, you know, like in another province and, you know, or it wasn't that. I'm sure it was right there as an intimidation factor. Idol or fire. Okay, and so what, is, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, into the flames you go. And so they wrap them up. They tie them up. Clothing and all, that means it, just, it was just instantaneous. you got to catch the instantaneous situation that you, you have to project. You will be in a situation where it's just everything is like it is. And then all of a sudden, stand for God or forsake God. So they get thrown in the fire. And the amazing thing is when they go in, guess what? How many got thrown in the fire? Three. How many were in the fire? Four. Four. Okay, open your Bibles or turn on your phones. Go to Daniel chapter 3, 17 and 18. 
And let's have someone stand up and read this one, these two verses. And then we'll also get someone on 25. So who wants to do chapter 3, 17 and 18? And let's have someone else stand up and read chapter 3, verse 25. And we'll, we'll have awkward silence until you do. Yeah, 17 18 right here. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. This is before they go in. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Great. Great testimony. Okay, now someone else on 25, 325. Someone got it? Okay. Robert? Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a Who does the fourth look like? Who is it? Son of God? Okay, this is the point you got to catch. When we go into a trial situation, a fiery furnace, that's a testing of our faith. Peter mentions that. Our faith is going to be tested in a fire, and that's precious. When we go into the trial, guess who goes in with us? The Son of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, do we only know the God of prevention Or do we know the God of resurrection who enters into death with us, not sparing us from the situation, not not, you know, not blowing in a thunderstorm right when everyone's about to worship and it starts raining and the lightning starts blowing. Everyone goes, okay, we got to call it off. Everyone's spared. No test. You know, that's the God of prevention. He prevented the whole situation from, you know, happening. Or do we know the God of resurrection who allows us to go into death? to go into a trial, to go into a testing, yet goes in with us. Isn't that awesome? So the, the choice is no trial, no fire, but also no presence of God. Or trial, testing, hardship, tribulation, persecution with The presence of God. And in this situation, the fire had none effect, had no effect on them. They came out, and there was no smell. There was no smell of smoke on the clothes. And there was no singe on the garments. You know, when we were out here last night, did anyone go back into their cabin and go, Man, I smell smoky. I need a shower. For sure. You weren't even in the fire. You were just near the fire. But when these three overcomers who stood for God's testimony... In the midst of persecution, when they stood strong in their faith, the Lord entered that situation with them and made that place of suffering a place of His presence, a place of enjoyment, a place of none effect on your body. So anyways, isn't this an awesome story? So it redefines our definition of salvation. Salvation is not to be delivered from anything that would ever harm us, but salvation is to secure the presence of God in any situation. We have the presence of God. We have whatever we need. And not only will we have whatever we need, but the Lord will have his testimony. Okay, so that's all I got today. Daniel chapter 3. 
Don't forget, you may be there this semester somewhere in a class, in a study group, in uh, some kind of extracurricular activity. And remember, if you want to be part of God's move, it's not just enough to have faith. We have to stand for our faith. And when we stand for our faith, the Lord's presence will back us up and come into that situation, supply us, empower us. And uh, all of a sudden, people will see, wow, the Son of God is with these guys. Okay, praise the Lord.